0: Fuck pain. Fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life.
1: From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking state of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Taoist Podcast. It's interview time again, as our friend Robert Subiaga returns, this time to chat about Beleli's all-time hero, Zen Buddhist monk Ikkyo Sojun, and his unorthodox style of Zen, alcohol, and women, that attracted many disciples, to whom he became known as Crazy Cloud. All in order to live life in the moment, enjoying experience. And now... Asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers, and my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli, as we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dallas Podcast begins now. Here we go. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 71 of the Drunken Dallas Podcast, an awesome little interview today about my new favorite superhero. But before that, ladies and gentlemen, Daniela Bolelli.
0: Today, good times. We're going to be playing with Mr. I.Q. Sojoon, my all-time hero, with Robert Subiaga here, returning after a glorious episode about Conan we had back, way back in the day. Here we go today. News, news, news. It looks like the historical podcast that I've been talking about for ever now has been a really long time it may finally happen uh i'm not giving you a date because i don't know it but it seems like one of the first few days of september episode zero which is just a general intro to the whole thing and episode one will be dropped website is not up yet that's why i hesitate to say anything but it should happen um just easiest thing just check my name in itunes see if something pops up and hopefully before next drunken taoist episode we'll have a history on fire episode out uh, sometime soon so check itunes teacher flying pigeon whatever you normally use to download the i don't know how you download the podcast out of a flying pigeon but if you just send us a video if you do <laughs> we would like to know about it so check it out put check under my name see if some other podcast pop up uh, I'm pumped up, I'm super excited I can't wait He did do him. I've heard him. This episode of the Drunken Tao is brought to you by Datsusara, on Knit and Short Design All of, as usual, if you guys uh, are interested in their products If you decide you just want to do us a favor And help out by buying some of our sponsors gear Whatever the reason may be, in the episode notes You're going to find the links and the discount codes so you guys can get a discount on any purchase from all the hemp gear that you can desire whether they are uh for martial arts whether they are computer bags backpacks uh, all hemp made from datsusara on it which ranges really on everything and it's opposite but roughly if we want to schematize so to speak three main categories where we got foods and that's one of my heavy hitters, I tend to consume particularly the hemp protein like there's no tomorrow I gave Robert some yesterday, he dug it, so I win a new convert, yay all the supplements, uh, which is what it started on with, um, Alpha Brain in particular, but there's a whole other range of mm, supplements which I've been experimenting with today, lately I've been on, on it kick so I'm expanding my range of stuff and I'm finding lots of goodies and uh, the workout equipment, uh, books, uh, DVDs, but also the equipment itself, from kettlebells to uh, the one thing that every household should have my favorite form of exercise the, the um, pull up bar to hook up on. That. I love pull up bars, it's basic stuff. You can get it anywhere, but might as well get it from on it, precisely because you can get it anywhere. And, uh, and of course, short design t shirts with the wildest, weirdest t shirts on earth brilliant designs um check that out pants jewelry there are a few other things Um, dresses yoga clothing the whole range of stuff the short design carries so if you guys want to check it out please do so and of course if you guys do any type of shopping on amazon please use our link doesn't it cost you about 35 extra seconds and it brings us a little bit of a kickback from amazon so that would be sweet if you can do that Having said that, without further ado, let's get down to business. Okay, guys. Today we are going to have fun. And that's an order. I don't care if you are in the mood for it or not. You are going to have fun, damn it, because I say so. No, Um, it is the deal. Today we are playing Mr. Robert Subiaga back with us. He was, uh, in case you missed out on one of the most glorious episodes of the Drunken Taoist, he was here with us about a year ago discussing the glory that is uh, Conan the Barbarian in the Robert E. Howard incarnation, in the Milius incarnation in all of them. And you know, he sharing my Conan fetish was a great time, just tossing ideas about that. This time they're in costume. This time, yeah, it's just as good because they were going to. Whereas Conan is sort of one of my mythological heroes that don't have exactly a parallel in three dimensional real life here we talk about a guy who actually existed in my mind he might as well not be because it's so far removed in time and place and everything so and it's too perfect even to be real to some degree mr e q sojun which i mention i mentioned him in everything i've written you know at one point i find a way to mention e q whether in 50 things in uh, Creator and religion the new one coming up uh, um, the book that I'll have out at the end of the year there's a whole thing about EQ, well, I will get into it, but let's just say it makes me smile just to remember why I mentioned him. And uh, so EQ is one of those guys that um, I originally didn't know about EQ, and uh, I was reading a Tom Robbins book, and I love you, know, you guys by now. If you've heard a few episodes, you know I love Tom Robbins. That. He's just amazing, and and I was reading Tom, like, it was an interview, and they were asking him, Hey, well, if you were, if you could pick a time and a place where you want to go in the past, where would you be? And among two or three options he threw out there, he said something along the lines of, Oh, I would want to be in the 1400s in Japan with my old time idol, ikyu Sojun, carousing through the brothels and drinking sake with him. And I was like, who the hell is Eikyo Sojun? He's like, he's a hero of Tom Robbins and I worship Tom and I and I see this guy is this Zen monk and I'm like, fuck, I'm super interested and I read that on and, and Zen Buddhism. I'm super interested in Tom Robbins and I don't know who this guy is. Let me fix this right away. It was harder than <laughs> expected because there's not that much published. I mean, there's some stuff in English, of course there is, but it's not quite as much as you would expect for a character of this quality. So, but after starting to fix my knowledge gap in the EQ department I was as happy as I could be because I found my official role model in life and uh, Robert apparently not only shares my Conan fetish but an EQ one as well (laughs) so here we are ready to roll right Yep. How did you run into the whole story of E.Q., Which, by the way, we are gonna, in case you guys have no idea what is, do this dude is or why should you care, we're gonna get to that real quick.
1: Well, I uh, spirit spoke to him through the trees. <laughs> Isn't that what happened?
0: <laughs> uh, I'd like to go
2: with that story. Uh, unfortunately, um, but no, there's actually a kind of a Robert E. Howard connection, and uh, you know, I've, I've done some um, writing for a little bit of film projects and fictional stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and I have this character that I'd been working on, this protagonist that uh, is kind of my version of inspired by Robert E. Howard protagonists that mm-hmm. i have been working on since high school, since the uh, the eighties. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, at a certain point, you know, back when I was in college, originally it was <laughs> it was kind of a Game of Thrones type of uh, scenario, which is that. Uh, uh, pseudo medieval world um um you know similar to conan cyborian age though that's more historical than than people think it's just a f- false history mm-hmm. um and then somewhere along 85 or 86 i decided i want to i wanted to historically contextualize this character and uh his his sojourns and include i had already plot ideas for a certain segment where um, he had traveled across half the world and ended up in, uh, in Japan. And the early 1400s was the setting. So that's when I started looking into certain things. And, uh, that's when I came across, uh, EQ. And so uh, as a research for work, you let running. That's awesome. Yeah. That's and, cool. you know, it, it it just, I came across him and going, wow, this, this is kind of the iconoclastic character that, uh, that I needed. And he actually ends up then as, uh, Playing narrator in in this key piece about the protagonist, and uh, um, yeah, Beautiful. it just it just fit perfectly. And you know, uh, at, at the time, I was doing some uh, um, well, key points of it. I was doing graduate study in, in philosophy, and then a in multidisciplinary you know degree with philosophy as a component. And um, you know, I was familiar with other key figures that also were influential that we've talked about, Diogenes mm-hmm. uh, of Sinope. And uh, it was like, wow, EQ is EQ is got that quality of Zen that attracted me without the elements that once they attracted me and go, yeah, that's stilted, stereotypical, yeah. um, doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. So you know, I had I'd been exposed in the '80s again to, to Zen thinking at first exposure and thinking, oh, this is great, until I dig deeper and I go, eh, not so much. And then I come across EQ
0: going. Oh, now we're back around to... This is great (laughs) again. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, IQ is hilarious that way. It's like, he's really like... Imagine these... Oh, and by the way, for those of you guys who have uh, checked out the Dionysian Parade t-shirt, IQ features prominently as one of our characters. Um, I'm gonna, if I remember to do it, which listening to this episode and telling myself in this moment should uh, help quite a bit in this regard. I'm going to make sure to blow up that part of the Dionysian Parade, that image and show it as the cover for this episode on the website. So if you guys check out the art, there's uh, an image of uh, a woman pouring some alcoholic liquid, wine, sake, whatever that may be, down her boob and as the alcohol drips off her boob, there's Iq's face underneath just taking in all the the juices of alcohol dripping off her boob and just lapping away happily. So, yeah, I wonder, you know, why do I de- get dirty looks from the moms at Isabella's kindergarten when I go with the Dionysian parade on? I, Chelsea. Yeah, I, that's exactly what I think. Yeah. But, don't, um,
1: don't even confuse that. Or that's yeah.
0: just that. it is is like a particularly, imagine a particularly horny version of Bugs Bunny and coat it with zen buddhism and, and you're on the right path little bit things about his life just to contextualize a little bit some of the stuff we're gonna say Iku was born in uh, 1394 as um, as the illegitimate son of the emperor go komatsu who was uh, so in that sense he has a lot in common with john snow from game of thrones i'm a bastard that's right that's aq uh, was illegitimate but again son of the emperor but illegitimate so part of the problem was for political reasons that are far too complex and i don't want to bore you with too much history but bottom line the there was a lot of uh possible palace conspiracy aimed at getting rid of potential heirs that were not you know, there in a recognized way what often happened to rich bastards and bastards I mean it literally I don't mean it as in a bad thing As like you must no as in literally as illegitimate once. ones uh, so Ikki's mom had to kind of flee the imperial court uh, she very quickly by the time he was five years old she put him in a zen monastery kind of showing look he, this guy's not gonna have anything to do with power he's not gonna try to bug anybody just let him live. don't kill him uh, he's gonna be a zen monk let's leave it, leave it at that but that meant that IQ grew up in this very joyless, severe, tough environment, surrounded by a bunch of old monks from the time he was five years old. So not exactly the most uh, cheerful environment in the universe, kind of tough. Uh, by the time, uh, his life also will continue to be tough quite a bit early on. you know. By the time he's 21 years old, after going through a series of teachers that he absolutely hate, he ran into one that he loved for the previous five years, he learned a lot from the guy, and then the guy dies by the time he's EQ21. So IQ is like desperate. He's like, the only fucking thing I had in my life that was good is gone. There's, He wanted to kind of kill himself. He's about to just hop in this lake and drown himself, but he was stopped by his master. Giant That would have helped, oh. which I'm sure would have helped even more. But in this case, was a letter from his mom saying, hey, please don't don't stay alive. Do it for me, if not for yourself. And IQ is like, okay, he worships his mama. That's the only other things that he worship in his life at this time so he decides to stick around. Eventually one of the paradoxes about Ikkyu is that he's clearly insanely smart and he has an intuitive grasp of a lot of what Zen Buddhism is about except that by definition this puts him at odd with the uh, Zen institutions that have largely lost the spirit of mm, the, the, or, the origin of the Zen traditions and turned it into a Dry bureaucratic trip that had more to do with courting the favor of rich patrons than it had to the actual insight of Zen Buddhism. You say money got involved? Come on. Yeah, there's that. And also just poor quality people. You know, it's like the best idea in the world in the hands of bad people it turns out bad. That's just how it goes. The idea doesn't even matter. It's the human quality attached to it that's going to make a difference. Yeah, institutions
2: to- getting in their comfort zone. Yeah. You know, they're, they're just moving on momentum and cruise control with. Things institutions do, yeah. That's the, the humans
1: continue to grind in the grist of the mill that they've created, yeah. What mm-hmm. this world, but now, just real quick, as we're getting into sure, this. is this more possible? How do we actually know he lived? Why can't I just do the well? How do you know Jesus was there? Is he sort of historical in that,
0: or is there, yeah? I mean, there's enough evidence to suggest that again, it's easier from uh, you know the 1400s, the 600 sure. years ago, there's a lot more contemporary written documentation than. The further you go in history, the harder it is to find anything contemporary that's reliable. But it
1: could still just be a great amalgamation of a few dudes. Just to Yeah, be I mean, incredible. there
0: could be a lot of legends attached to it. There could be stories. That, who the fuck knows, right? No, no, I don't know. Yeah, I, no, no, and, and I kind of like me, it
1: better that way. A little mysterious and an yeah, awesome and, story from forever ago
0: right and to me it doesn't matter because it's like whether this is exactly a tom robbins just made him up and just created a character or is an actual real historical person completely secondary to me because it's like a philosophical inspiring now the good man by the time he's 26 years old he has this enlightenment experience and um, he was studying under this zen master who um after IQ kind of reports what happened to him and uh, sort of reluctantly his master, this guy named Kazo, say, well, you know, this is the enlightenment of a mere arhat. You're no master yet. Arhat is like an advanced person within Buddhist tradition, but not quite to the next level up. And IQ's response then is like, I'm perfectly happy to be an arhat. I hate masters, you know, (laughs) (laughs) to which Kazo laughed. I was like, well, maybe you are a master after all, you know, because he was like, which I love right there already. The um, Now, this is where it gets funny. So one thing that in Zen Buddhism is supposed to happen is that in order to teach, to pick up a position as the head of a monastery or to be recognized as a Zen enlightened master or whatever the fuck, your master has to sign off on a document, uh, what they call the Inca. The Inca is something that's this document that certified that you have been enlightened. Then another Zen master in the tradition who has been certified by somebody else who's enlightened, sign off that your enlightenment is true. EQ, look at this, and his response is like, certificate of enlightenment? He already had some indulgences
1: from the Pope, so he wasn't worried. <laughs> it's like,
0: you know, I, I can think of a few uses for papers, and none of them go about certifying things. Where did he cast that in at? Fuck this, <laughs> you know. It's like, so he just tossed it. Is like, uh, which makes him, you know, even... Because to he- this is, in some way, if you think of Zen as a career, which to some degree for him it was, right? Because all he has been training for is to be a Zen monk. That's all they raised him for. That's complete career suicide. Because he's the equivalent of, you know, if you're an academic getting your PhD and say, fuck it, I don't want it, and you just throw it away. You can't go through the required steps to kind of climb up the ladder. There's a long list of all these apprentices and students who are waiting for the day when somebody will pat them on the back and say, you made it. You are enlightened. Here is your piece of paper to prove so. And Dick is just like, certificate of enlightenment. Please, go fuck yourself. I think that's what Mr. Spock did to the Vulcan Science Council as well. He's like, nah, I'm going to go flagships. ships. Yeah, See <laughs> later. exactly. He's like, let's, let's be real about it. You know, they do try to kind of really mean at one point they... Despite this, they make it as a abbot of a smaller temple and, you know, they try to. But at the first time, there's, uh, there's a get-together with uh, the head of the bigger temple and he sees, like, all the monks who are just spending their time courting these uh, rich guys who come in, who clearly and not in such ambiguous terms demand the certificate of enlightenment in cha- exchange of donations. The fact that these guys, the Zen establishment, is very willing to do that so this if he wasn't disgusted already he's even more disgusted now so nobody can find him anymore he walks off, he disappears and they're like where the fuck did this guy go and the only thing that they find behind is the following poem which I'll quote in its entirety all of its two and a half lines because it's just too cold ten days in this temple and my mind is reeling between my legs the red thread stretches and stretches if you come some other day and ask for me better look in a fish stall, a sake shop, or a brothel. How's that for a fuck you letter? You I'm know, out bitches, I yeah. cannot believe that. I'm so disappointed, I'd rather muck stalls. Yeah, and he's, you know, he's not exactly, that's basically his outline what the, much of the rest of his life will be, because some of the, I would say, t- the three top passions in Ikki's life are zen, for sure, alcohol, and women, those who seem to go very much hand in hand in his life he will abandon the sort of zen establishment. He'll become this wanderer who just travels around indirectly because he doesn't have a school, he doesn't have anything, but he attracts this group of people who just find him fascinating, who think he's a genius, who think he's the man. So he has this group of non-disciples in the sense that they are not formally disciples, but they do follow him around, learn from him, have fun, just hang out in without even trying iq will affect japanese culture to a crazy high degree because he'll affect the development uh, some of his students become like top-notch <clears throat> important figures in developing uh, theater in japan one of his students is the guy who comes up with our whole new version of the tea ceremony uh anything from calligraphers to paintings you know around him some of the intellectual giants of Japanese life of the 1400s gather around, kind of eat him out of his hands and he's doing it, you know, yeah, why not? Let's do that while before the brothel and you know, after having a drink, why not affect the Japanese intellectual life for the next few centuries? Did they have a
1: great nickname like the Pussy Hounds or the T birds or something like that? I mean, the
0: the group of followers. Yeah, no, I the Ikirus. Yeah, no, no <laughs> no one for them. His nickname was Glorious because his uh, nickname was the Crazy Cloud, which I particularly love. But you know, Rain seem,
1: on me, Crazy Cloud.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, there's a lot in a lot of Chinese poetry from this time, which a lot of Japanese stuff was inspired by. Um, rain and cloud was like a euphemism for sex. So there was a lot of uh, cloud references. Like often. Where, yeah, <laughs> exactly. The, um, shall we wrap up Vicky's life real quick? Let, let me just go five more minutes as a background, just to give you guys kind of the whole background of stretching the general trends in his life. And then we go into philosophical points. I will jump in with Robert and Chuck. I want to
1: go it. right to the little finger parts where he's running the town and getting drunk with the women every night.
0: Well, we're, that's going to be, don't worry. That's okay. going to be a good part of the episode. All right. But, um, Has what, to happen eventually. one thing that's really funny about him is that later in life, when he's in his seventies, he falls madly in love with this woman who's like way younger than him, probably about half his age or so. And, uh, the love story between this lady, uh, Mori, who uh, was this uh, blind singer, who was an attendant at the temple, and Eikyo uh, is one of the most celebrated love stories in Japanese history. Because you know, Japan doesn't have a reputation for you know romanticism and these big love stories. If anything, especially in the Zen establishment, there was definitely not something that was uh, looked kindly upon. And we're gonna get into all that about. I think not every Japanese after, movie
1: I've seen from the 50s Ends up with somebody Harry carrying themselves At the end for honor to uh, so Because the love cannot be requited
0: Yeah, that's not IQ story He <laughs> and Mori are just having a grandiose time Just doing it nonstop, Having a good time I'll, I'll read you guys a couple of IQ's lines About his uh, newfound love When he's in his 70s uh, Here he goes I'm infatuated with the beautiful Mori From the Celestial Garden Lying on the pillow's tongue on her flower stem my mouth fills with the pure perfume of the waters of her stream twilight comes the moonlight shadows and we sing fresh songs of love night after night we two lovebirds snuggle on the meditation platform lost in dalliance intimate talk and orgasmic bliss not a bad gig. Uh,
1: yeah, excuse me for a moment, Phyllis.
0: Yeah, no, you'll need uh, lots of poses in this because there's. This Warm- is. I'm actually warming it up because this is nothing compared to what comes will come later. But I thought I
1: heard seventies porn music kind of rolling in underneath there. That's probably that the soundtrack. Good, is, when got to the move platform. Yeah, there's plenty sit of that, back, baby.
0: There are a couple of cute ones that are not as sexually explicit, but purely cuteness. There's one tomorrow that goes, "The tree was barren of leaves, but you brought a new spring." Uh, long green sprouts verdant flowers, fresh promise more if I ever forget my profound gratitude to you let me burn in hell forever and uh, you know sweet, this is not exactly a, it's not the typical Japanese male attitude in the 1400s who's been raised in Zen monastery all his life expressing emotions in such strong unashamed way is really not what you've been trained for well, it yeah. sounds like
1: she rose the the dead cock to the living there, that she, he, I mean, from that poem alone, it had been 17 years since we had any stirrings So right. you walked into my life. Well, She's a walking Viagra doll.
0: Yeah, basically, he flat out say that in other writings, so there's that <laughs> helps out too, I'm sure. But aside from that, we're, sure we're going to explore the whole thing with women and the love story, expressing emotion, all that theme. One thing that's interesting is that toward the latter part of Hikki's life, Japan uh, bad shit happens where the beginning of what becomes the Warring state period hits where the first in a long series of wars that will wreck Japan in civil wars of uh, various warlords fighting for power the Onin war strikes out and the Onin war is brutal you know everything in Kyoto which is where Mikki was often based on just burns down from the Imperial Palace to most of the places Iq has to flee the place he'll uh, travel in other parts of Japan the main temple that had been associated most of his life indirectly grudgingly even hating a lot of the bureaucracy but that temple was also burned down it looked like the whole line that had lasted hundreds of years was coming to an end and after by the time Iq is 80 the emperor asked him to do something about it, it like, can you please fix this can you rebuild the temple can you do something and E.Q. has been at odds with the official temple-driven version of Zen. Enthusi- well, I don't know if enthusiastically, but he does pick up the call, and he does use all his connection that he had built by traveling around all his life, mixing with people from all walks of life, merchants, uh, all sort of strata of society that as a Zen monk normally didn't associate with. He kind of calls in the favors and asks them to help out. And all these guys who revere EQ just jump in, donate wood for building material, money, whatever they can. And at a time when nobody has the finances set up to rebuild the giant temple the way it was done, EQ pulls off the miracle and is able to make it happen. Which I think there's some interesting irony between a guy who has spent all his life talking shit about the institution of zen and then in some weird odd way helping it propping it back up um i'm sure he would have appreciated the irony of it all kind of there's some kind of cosmic joke in this but in a nutshell these are just a few highlights of Iku's life IQ then become this popular hero in japanese cultural history even in modern days as being reinvented as heroes do like there's a Japanese cartoon series called EQ-san that focus on uh, this EQ as a young boy and it's kind of like this smart ass who's always figuring out ways to outwit authority and trick the headmaster and trick the rich and powerful and do all these things that, so, you know, tempo stands <laughs> to this day. That's awesome. Let's jump yeah. into this. Let's look at first one of the, I guess, interesting philosophical points to address. Uh, this idea of uh, radical honesty this idea that, you know, in many ways it's in a society as tightly wound as Japanese society was in the 1400s Iku is a guy who just gives a giant middle finger to it all and decide to be completely loyal to his own vision of things whether people like it or not, whether it fits with an established order or not he has this uncompromising commitment to be himself as how he wants to run his life as opposed to how everybody expect him to run his life or social conventions expect him to and decide to, you know, in many ways, this defiance of expected behavior become a classic aspect of EQ's personality. It's yeah. like, this is how I am. You like it? Great. You don't like it? I don't care. It's either way. And there's, you know, the, to use the
2: old cliche, there's a method to his madness that... Uh, um the problem with a society that's going to get that wound that tight is you're going to have problems with um repression with denial mm-hmm. and you know it's it's where okay we're going to deal with uh, you know a society or a person might deal with aggression and then it becomes repressed and comes out in passive aggressive forms and you know the, the, um it's funny because if you look at buddhism period but especially the uh, the chan zen lineage you know you're supposed to be getting past dichotomies and Mm -hmm. you're supposed to i mean really in a very earthy pragmatic way um following the middle path and Mm -hmm. yet there is uh besides the materialism you know the selling of indulgences the equivalent of that that is woven in together with an asceticism and you know it's like uh We'll come back to that with regards to uh, IQ and and sex and mm-hmm. uh, emotion and romance and all these sorts of things where um, for all the surface gloss of the philosophy, the philosophy underneath, uh, you know, paradoxically, people can use the trappings of enlightenment as denial that they're no- nowhere close to it. it. It's almost like the old uh, admonition you know the from Buddhism the the hardest desire to be free of is the desire to be free of desire sure. um you know and so um you know there's a lot of asceticism a lot of um pointless institutionalized discipline uh you know again being wound too tight mm-hmm. uh, that's why you have things like uh, the repression of of emotions that's why you have things like the uh the lack of romanticism and so then how is somebody in true buddhist true zen tradition supposed to puncture that well you come back around to you know the
0: uh the embrace of these things right yeah it's trippy because the image of how it's supposed to be what enlightenment is supposed to look like if you are concerned with that, that's okay. Right there, you have um evidence—the first piece of evidence—with the fact that you're not enlightened. Because mm-hmm. that right there is just not. And in that sense, E.Q.'s rejection to fit in with the image of the enlightened Zen monk, in some ways, it's kind of like when he's like, you know, fuck that, I don't want to be a master. It's like, okay, that gives you ground to probably you are. Then you, there's something right there already. There's the. Um, it's interesting because some of his own fans, some of his own disciples, some of the people who liked him, were kind of embarrassed by how open and blunt he was, how the fact that he made no secrets of his emotions, of his weaknesses. There were times when he's very blunt about being angry, about mm-hmm. being uh, as happy as he could be in the silliest thing, You know, indulging in emotional stuff that you are as a good Buddhist, you're not supposed to indulge in that. You're supposed to have transcended it, and mm-hmm. it's What do you make of that?
2: Well, and and, you know, you use the perfect word there, transcendence. Supposedly, I mean, if you really get to the core of Buddhism, transcendence is not supposed to be part of it. It's a rejection Mm -hmm. of the old idea that you could achieve lasting transcendence because that is a form of permanence. It's a seeking of a form of permanence. So in a way, it almost reminds me of... uh, some of the early uh, Christian sects mm-hmm. that said, okay, well, because you're forgiven anything, you can indulge in anything. Right, And, um, you know, if you really go down the rabbit hole of Buddhism, um, you know, with this idea of the impermanence of anything, um, it really does become existential. And that scares people. You know, the old Dostoyevsky and, uh, um, you know, Crime and Punishment, Uh, goes down the rabbit hole that well if the world is existential everything is permitted Mm -hmm. and of course the the traditional response to that is we'll just find some way uh to say that it's not and Mm -hmm. even if we are part of a philosophy and ideology that says everything is permitted we'll find ways to through the back door reintroduce the idea that yeah well it's it's not and you can understand from a large-scale human end from a Uh, social, societal end, yeah, that definitely always has the potential for abuse. Because if on a large scale, everybody feels like everything is permitted, most people are very unlikely to be doing it in a way that is enlightened, as opposed to simply hedonistic, immature, and so on. And yet, that doesn't change the fact that there will be those exceptional human beings, um, and even if they're exceptional overall, they, they don't have to be exceptional at every moment, maybe just at some key moments. But nevertheless, in a larger context, they can put this all together and um, everything is permitted is part of a of a genuine enlightenment. Um,
0: and I think everything is permitted to a point because there is still sort of this Buddhism golden rule, which EQ does not go against, which is causing harm mm-hmm. throughout. I mean, one of the thing that's interesting is that most people who are as uh, happily indulgent as EQ in their own desires, passions, and everything, you see a lot of these characters often end up hurting other people in the process. Mm-hmm. So even in modern days, you hear about kind of a lot of guys who as uh, happy gurus, who not in a hidden kind of way, but they are like having sex with half of their disciples doing this and that. Yeah. And yet the end result is they often fuck people up badly in the sense that they do cause harm in the yeah. process.
2: Well, and Whereas here, IQs, goes back yeah. the beauty
0: of EQ is that he doesn't. Right, and
2: yet to, to do that, he still has to accept that if he chose to, he could. Yeah, that's what we comes back to with with uh, with crime and punishment is that the idea is that, you know, you're not compelled by any morality to not cause harm, and yet you're not compelled to cause it
0: either. Yeah, it's a choice, and he makes. That's mm-hmm. not how I want to live my life. Right.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And uh, in fact, one of the things I used to in, in one of these it was actually a mystery and suspense writing, gifted ed class I used to teach in the summers, but we used crime and punishment some of the times, and we always would end up covering existentialism mm-hmm. towards the end, uh, sometimes also with Alfred Hitchcock's Rope, which is a great exploration of the, the same idea. And the thing the thing is, if you think about it, if everything is permitted, if you, without any guilt or recrimination, understand you could cause harm, but then you also see the sharing of the human condition, that we all are condemned to this freedom, then you could probably say with with good uh, reasonable approximation that the tendency will be overwhelmingly not to cause harm, not because you are obligated to any other being, but because you feel empathy for the fact that whether they're facing
0: it or not, they're in the same boat. Right yeah absolutely and I think that's where Buddhism that idea of not causing harm, stop being a dogma that you're mm-hmm. supposed to live by and become something they have internalized not because there's an external authority forcing you to be a good person, mm-hmm. you just are because that's what you feel inside because it's yeah. uh there's a you recogni you have that empathy you recognize it as something that makes sense to you. And that's what I love about He is a guy who does go a path that can be a slippery slope, that can turn into something hurtful or messed up, mm-hmm. but he dances gracefully on that path without causing all the inevitable mayhem with a lot of people who go down that path. Because that makes him, to me, is like that's a model of how you do it as opposed to how... You can say the same thing and instead behaving in a way that produces a radically different results. That's what makes him even more lovable. He must he have can, been the happiest drunk of all times because exactly. most of the drunks I know are assholes. And instead, exactly, the thing so with him is… It does go is, against everything you said. You know, Precisely. Like, it's a miracle
1: thing, that anybody would follow this guy.
0: Right. That he's seeing is, you know, as I'm not hurting anybody. So what the fuck is wrong with living passionately? There's oh, yeah. nothing wrong with passion as long as passion doesn't turn into something that then end up uh, hurting other people, or even hurting myself. If I'm not doing that, then what's to be scared of passion? It's like the superstition of people who got burned with fire and then say fire is bad. Fire is not bad. It's how you handle it. That well, was And you have to wonder too, you know, I mean,
2: uh, given Iqu's reputation for, for example, loving drink, how much did he by our stereotypical estimation, overindulge? Or was he actually, you know, it's funny, when I I, I used to tell people when I first moved to Vegas, I considered myself kind of a disciplined libertine. And I I loved it because I really didn't feel like I had to overindulge, but I gave myself permission should I want to. And that's what kept me from doing it. It's like, if it's there, if you want it, and you will guilt-free, you can feel like you would indulge well then you're not going to go to excess so perhaps iku enjoyed his sake he enjoyed his uh you know his wine in a far greater moderation than we would envision but to do it he had to give himself permission mm-hmm. to indulge or overindulge at any time you know it's the same thing as not doing harm Ironically, to not do harm, you have to give yourself permission to do harm. And then that
0: empathy is genuine.
2: It comes out. It's not imposed from outside.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, who knows? We don't have any breathalyzer for EQ for how much alcohol he actually took in. But he clearly did it in a way that worked. That Mm -hmm. didn't cause damage to himself. He lived a long and healthy life. Or others, because there's not a single record of anybody going, that asshole, that one time he did this thing that is not that common even with ancient sources where are sure there can be a lot missing you don't really f- find any sign of that which i find awesome what you do find though is some of his disciples who liked him for other aspects were kind of ashamed of his open indulgence and uh, admitting without because you know it's normal to say one thing and do another he was normal to preach the goods and uh, Speech and then go to the brothel or drink or whatever, but you're supposed to be ashamed of it. you're supposed to hide it. you know you're supposed to not openly admit it. It's your deep, dark secret that you don't reveal. what makes it you radical is not that he was doing those things in fact, half of the world was doing those things yeah. is that he's not ashamed, not even a tiny bit he and doesn't see lacking it as that a,
2: shame. I mean you end up in one of two boats uh, you know well, there can be a mixture of the two, but you either end up like you said where on the sly you are violating the Mm -hmm. things you're preaching you're a hypocrite or you're not and you're wound too tight and you're repressed right and so you know he he avoided either of those by by
0: you know allowing yeah because in his mind there's nothing to be ashamed of He's like am i hurting anyone no so fuck off what do you want from me you know it's like Uh, because what sex is bad in and of itself or drink is bad in and of itself to him in a sense he's the most beautiful example of the idea that enlightenment and passion can go hand in hand and that there's no inherent contradiction between the two which I find beautiful because so much of the spiritual crowd is so annoyingly repressed when it comes to they kind of look down upon you if you have this more uh, that's more earthy kind of shit it's like no, that's being alive. That's what being alive is. And yeah. what you are preaching is this very ethereal version of spirituality that in my mind is not real spirituality. Mm-hmm. Is uh, And again, that's my own personal thing. Somebody else may have a different take. But, but I dig, the, I guess, the word real right there. How real EQ was to himself, you mm-hmm. know, without not projecting an image, not projecting how he wants other people to perceive him live his life the way he wants to, because that's what makes sense to him, Mm -hmm. regardless of how other people take it. So in that sense, I propose to nominate EQ as the patron saint of podcasting, because one of the (laughs) nature of the podcasting business is radical honesty. It's like you talk long enough in free flow format, the real you is going to come out, whether you like it or not, so you might as well embrace it. Mm -hmm. And EQ's approach is all about embracing the being who you are not hiding it, not playing, not selling an image, just being completely a free individual. And by free, I don't mean just free from external institution, uh, even from anti your own- isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's from amazing. Yeah. No yeah. wonder
1: why the people lined up to follow him. Can you imagine it's if there's awesome. an anti-repression candidate? Yeah. Bernie Sanders, I got something for you, buddy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> people would clamor for it. Look yeah. at the damage that happens when people are repressed. And I won't point to the Dugers again, because it'll be two months from now, but mm-hmm. Once you lock it away and make everything bad, sure. then your well, crazy it's a, attempts to get, a, you know. Yeah, and it's a universal
2: it. tendency, too, because you, you see a lot of this in very, um, you know, the other extreme, very modern, progressive sorts of, uh, of things where, uh, you know, we were talking earlier where, I mean, f- food becomes, okay, you're not following old Jewish dietary guidelines, but you're. Going really extreme as a raw foodie or anti gluten or something like that. You know, I mean, it's another purity fetish. You know, just rear, it rears its head over and over. Even something as simple as, um, you know, again, very, very fashionable now uh, mindfulness meditation, the idea of stepping outside mm-hmm. and re examining your emotions from the outside. Well, that's kind of a double-edged sword because that also opens up the possibility of distancing yourself from those emotions. And, you know, good news is you do it right. You can end up with uh, advancement. Bad news is uh, you can do it right and end up in advancement. And then next thing you know, your advancement is a uh, cover, a smokescreen, for repression coming in the back door again. So, you know, it's interesting with IQ that that you have this, not only you have these cycles of passion and melancholy and very, you know, existential types of things, you have these multiple cycles of enlightenment, mm-hmm. you know, where you sit there and go, maybe I need to be re-enlightened or maybe what I thought was enlightenment before it wasn't, and mm-hmm. this is the enlightenment. You know, that constant constant uh, swirl of being on the path, um, again, runs very contrary to the... uh the image, the stereotype where, oh, so-and-so has achieved enlightenment and now they're wise across the board and, uh, no, you know, real people made of flesh and blood in the real world. That's a little
0: too much to swallow. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is like he, he was very open about sometimes his attachment, which by definition is a bad word in Buddhism. His attachment to some of his lovers, mm-hmm. his deep love for them. He had two kids. And uh, you know, in some of his poems, he talks about them. There's one beautiful one-liner when he talks about like watching my four-year-old daughter dance. I can't break free of her. You know, he's clearly just having a blast watching this little girl play, and just his the love that he has for her transpire right there. Mm-hmm. As that monk, you're not supposed to do that. You know, <laughs> you're supposed to be above all this shit. And he's like, he's like, and IQ thing is why who said that? Yeah, and. That's a desirable enlightenment to be in a place where you don't enjoy mm-hmm. uh having your kids playing with them, or what the well, hell is you know, that? we That's... we talked
2: the other day you know outside of the podcast about this where just one interesting thing I see when I look at at uh um Buddhism and similar traditions is speaking of things coming in not just repression through the back door but um you know it's uh it reminds me of the famous Nietzsche quote, rather than wish for nothing, man wishes even for nothingness. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this identification with lack of permanence and lack of permanent self in Buddhism with the void. Well, you know, the existential view of it is something more I'd subscribe to. And that's often looked at in Depends on on who you're talking to, but in many Buddhist circles as well, that's nice. But that's the that's kind of an immature mm-hmm. look at it because the the void isn't really nothingness. It's a uh, you know it's a it's a higher mind, a higher consciousness, which is really just going back to Hinduism. But in my my estimation, but the idea is that well, I can ride those coattails. So in other words, we'll take my aspirations to a form of immortality and paint it up as mortality, so I can ride that into an alternate mm-hmm. form of immortality and permanent. You know, we'll call impermanence uh the only real truth, and then we'll treat that as permanent mm-hmm. and then just ride that coattail. Um it's coming in through the back door again. And so the thing is, speaking existentially, Zen is an existential sort of uh uh view or frame you know framed that way if, in the end, we have impermanence, there's no need to grasp, not just grasp it, but chase it in this life. It's coming, whether you like it or not. So, you know, kind of the, the funny thing is, mm-hmm. enlightenment's coming to your body and your your form and what you're made of. Someday, whether you like it or not, it's going to be forced on you. right. You know, you, you perish, maybe you leave behind the, your karma in the sense of information, who you were, what you left behind. Eventually that will cycle around and fade. And so, hey, good news is the void is coming for, you know, if you, if you want to positively identify with that, it's coming someday no matter what. And you don't have to try for it. And if you don't want it to come that way, it's coming for you someday, no matter what. You don't have to try for it. So you don't have to be ashamed. (laughs) You don't have to be ashamed of desire, even desire for permanence, because you also recognize that that's not permanent.
0: (laughs) Right. The forced into enlightenment. That should be the title of your next book, I would say.
1: (laughs) I don't know how that's going to work Saturday morning at 811 when they knock on the door. Have you heard the good news? (laughs) The void's going to destroy you no matter what. (laughs) (laughs) Or not. Have a good afternoon. On that happy note. I'm starting tomorrow.
0: (laughs) Let's look at one of the things that AQ is most renowned for. uh, The whole open embracing of sex and his unashamed enjoyment of sex in a way that, again, you do not picture as the typical... 1400s uh, Japanese guide, not what the culture is renowned for at that time, and definitely not the culture within a Zen Buddhist monk that was highly suspicious of sex in general, let alone. Let's throw a few quotes because these are, you know, if you, by the way, feel free to jump in with any. I'll start with a few. There, if there are any that come to mind of the uh, eq sex quotes there's such a long list i'm just gonna throw a few out oh, there get but, started, <laughs> oh yes well other than you know his comment about himself the what he's all about is like tasting life and enjoying sex to the fullest which right there i find a noble goal to live by here we go with some this is one of the greatest i tweeted this probably five times already because every so often i'm like okay this is too good i need to use it again he goes thirsty you dream of water cold you want fire not me i want the firm warm breasts and wetness of a woman the guy is not exactly you know he's not just talking in random poetic uh, he's blunt he's right there like one of that i love that cracks me up because he's so blunt don't hesitate get laid that's wisdom sitting around chanting sutras what a what a piece of crap
1: Charles Bukowski would love this guy.
0: I know, <laughs> man. Except that, exactly, right un- unlike the Bukowski model, where you end up obscenely drunk, fucked up, and with ways that are less than healthy, both emotionally, physical, and in every other way, EQ managed to surf through all this. You know, he, he keeps, never goes uh, over that line. Where exactly. You're like, oh, come on, Charles. Jeez, he, dude. He, he keeps the
1: vaseline scene. I knew it was coming.
0: Right. Or well, I'll give you wonders for you. All koans, koans are like kind of these Zen uh, word riddles that are supposed to kind of lead to enlightenment eventually after a long process. All koans just lead you on, but not the delicious pussy of young women I go down on. That's a for you, right? He's taking like the koan, which is one of the two key cornerstones of Zen Buddhism and saying, yeah, whatever, that's not it. Uh, (laughs) Compare that to the...
1: Wow, he paints such a nice picture. It just takes you back there. You can almost... Feel the window that was open while you were getting that first good whiff of
0: oh speaking of whiff, oh. I would—and again, okay, I'm gonna look at it for a way because I don't really want to look at you, Rich, as much as you're a nice person, adult. But well, that's fine. Offering this line, I would sniff you like a dog and taste you, then kiss your other mouth endlessly if I could, white hair or not. What a poet! Anything you want to throw out there, Robert? Of the uh, great sex. EQ quotes Well I, think I'm I, I,
2: <laughs> I like follow the rule of celibacy blindly and you're no more than an ass. With a young beauty I am engrossed in fervent love play. We sit in the pavilion, a pleasure girl and this Zen monk. I'm enraptured by hugs and kisses and certainly do not feel as if I am burning in hell.
0: How can you not like this guy? Right.
1: And there's hundreds of these? Yeah, there's every episode to begin with one of
0: these. Well, how about this one? Eight inches strong it is my favorite thing. If I'm alone at night, I embrace it fully. A beautiful woman has untouched it in ages. Within my underwear, there's the entire universe.
1: That's what? almost cocky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ah, see what I did there? Uh, yeah. Thank, you. Thank you.
0: What a poet. That wasn't very funny. Oh, what a oh. poet. <laughs> the autumn breeze of a single night of love is better than a hundred thousand years of sterile city meditation. No doubt. What? I mean, and again, that's the thing about Hiku is like he doesn't do it as, uh, you know, so much of the proper spiritual crowd when they reject the heavy repressive traditions that are all no sex, this and that. Mm-hmm. When you hear people talk about sex I mean i 've seen it like even with uh like some of my students sometimes will write these essays where, as part of the sort of a religion essay, I ask them to kind of write about some key topics in life, anything from attitudes toward the earth, uh, gender roles, sex, you know kind of bring uh, what do some religions say about this topic what's your take on it, and everybody when it comes to sex when if they are not completely self repressed people who are proudly proclaiming this ideology of squashing sexuality so many people when talking about sex talk about it in a way that a makes me not want to have sex ever again, or <laughs> certainly not with them. And B makes me laugh because it's like, how much bullshit are you telling to yourself first and foremost? Cause it's all about this, Oh, this beautiful spiritual connection where the two bodies merge. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not a barbarian. I get that. You well, know, there that's is a the uh, funny
2: thing about sex is, you know, and, and, and uh, the listeners if you didn't remember last time i'm a biology teacher and so this informs a lot right. of my you know creative work philosophical work and, and and so there are certain things that i go over with this and, and one of them there's a term in uh, in science called a frustrated system and a frustrated system is is think of paper scissors rock there's no one thing that you always pick there's no one right mm-hmm. strategy you have things in tension with each other if you make a robot that says it wants to shy away from a wall but go towards a light source and the light source is on the wall it's kind of like well which do i do you know but it may be that all of our things that we do living biologically is we have multiple things that we retract from and we move towards and they are in a constant dynamic tension and that's what life is this just journey now, with with sex, even sex is just one form of this, because any interaction really is. You and I, as as friends, are in interaction. People with each other, but it's a creative tension. I have this poetic line of a poem that I often perform: the creative tension between self and other. That's mm-hmm. at the core. And you know, and you know, from the still unpublished manuscript, but where EQ plays a, a, a narrator. Um, there are elements that talk about um, you can't have either extreme. You know, okay, you want to talk about this extreme of complete blending into the other person. Well, you can't have love if you have been annihilated. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you can't have love if you have dominated them and they have annihilated themselves and you. So you have, a, you have self and other. You can't go into either extreme because then you don't have this dynamic tension. And even something as like sex like procreation, to procreate is to live on in another being, but at the same time, um you know, there there's always this uh tension you often see in literature, classic stories and, and drama. Of fear of being supplanted by mm-hmm. what you 've created, whether it's Frankenstein and you 've created a monster or a person who's created the you know their heir who then tries to overthrow them it's a you know that's part of the cycle of life is that you know you have both lived on and created the mechanism that will supplant you and kill you you know and there's no resolution to this mm-hmm. that's one of the funny things if you really want to get down to. Uh, the throwing out of dichotomies there's no resolution to these tensions that cycle around in this beautiful boiling dynamic, and sex is just the most uh, obvious physically powerful for for us human right. beings' form of that that very thing that creative tension of self and
0: other yeah and with stuff is like you know the spiritual connection that's sweet and old but i also just like boobs you know it's just yeah. like some of it is all like uh, don't read too much into it just <laughs> you know and it's like and i like it that it makes it re- you know it, it brings it back to a level of reality that's uh I dig because it, it's not pretentious, it's not, uh, you know, the yeah. sense of trying to, j- again, justify, try to sublimate the instinctual passions of having a healthy, strong body that craves sex. Suddenly you have to make apologies for it by saying, it's the spiritual experience in which two merge as one and you become one with the divine. You know what? That may be, and it's actually kind of cool. But it's also fucking fun in itself, and well, just and, where and, it's at. you know,
2: and... it's funny too. If, if if you look at that broader context, it's like you appreciate it for its passion, but you have to you have to put it in the context of the of the of the wider world at the same time. The power of the passion feels like it's just the two of you, mm-hmm. but that's only for that moment. And you know, thinking again of the the, the broader context of sex. If you look at it as as information, you know ourselves as as yeah sharing of of information. We're having sex right now cuz there are elements of me that can't are taking tell, taking root in your brain and vice versa I'm and which sorry, you're part of the whole thing we got a, we got a nice little threesome going on here what the but fuck <laughs> Way to it the podcast out right, man i'm out of here but every I human being that I watched, God, yeah. be every trouble. human being that interacts with every other human being is having a form of sex and you know that as well as every other inanimate object animate object this this is this is, this is you know the the what we narrowly call sex is only a part of a larger picture where Wait. there's creative tensions of self and other throughout everything and propagating you know the memes of Richard Dawkins propagating in each other so the funny thing is then too it's like okay well don't you know don't make more out of this one type of union that you're really getting into and loving And ironically, that will help you make that union (laughs) better. Way to ruin
0: it for me, man. Um, (laughs) Ah, Okay, I'll stop with sex quotes because after this terrible revelation, uh, it's like now I'm disturbed (laughs) and I have to shake it off. I'm going to keep like shivering while I try to shake this off. Now, one of the things I dig about TQ is this idea of the erasing the separation that is so typical in spiritual circle between sacred and profane. This old notion that there's the sacred and there's the ordinary. That somehow, you know, real, uh, the kind of daily life that most people live in, the kind of experiences that make us up most people's daily life, that just like this profane level and the sacred is this spiritual, something completely unlike it. And And usually unattainable. uh, Usually unattainable. And even if it is, is it really all that desirable? It's about transcending what the more basic aspect of humanity that we know of. Ike was a big fan of uh Chinese uh, Chan Master with like the Chinese version of Zen, this guy by the name of Lin Chi or Linji or however the fuck is pronounced in Chinese, which was then pronouncing Rinzai in Japanese. Uh his thing is super quoted, like one of his lines is this super quoted thing by anybody from opera to you know it, whereas because it sounds cool, except that they cut the quote in half. The quote that they usually give is uh eat when you're hungry and sleep when you are tired. You know, this idea about being able to be natural, not going by the rules, and following. The full quote, the way Lynch is saying, and again, it tells you so much when people only quote this part. Because the whole quote (laughs) is like a line. It's not that much. And they just cut it. (laughs) Why did they
1: cut it? The other part is what they get the tattoo of on their back and don't even realize
0: it. Yeah, because the other part is the beginning. It's like, the way Lynch starts is, shit, peace, and just be human. When hungry, eat. When tired, sleep. Make yourself the master of every situation. And, you know, one of his famous admonitions was to avoid the love in the sacred and disdaining the profane. To him, he's like, shit, peace and be human. You know, he's like, by the way, why does, don't they quote that part? Was what, what, that obscene? That's something we don't want to talk about? It's like... To him, Lynchy is all about this idea that there is no such thing as the sacred and the profane. There's life. There's yeah. life lived with awareness, and there's life lived without awareness. But it's the same thing. The experiences are what they are. Is the level of consciousness you bring to the table maybe different? But you're still gonna do the same thing.
2: Yeah, and I mean, he, he, he inspired. There was, you know, the one piece, the one novel, way, way back that I that I published. It's uh, um, there's a couple lines of poetry that Lynchy uh, uh, inspired. But you know, of the of the lines, it uh, um, it goes: one cannot sacre, you know, make sacred. One cannot sacre what he would not profane. One can pro- not prophesy who would not blaspheme. Mm-hmm. You know, which is a common theme in the revolution of you know spiritual masters. Not to sound too stilted of it, but but of taking and you know snapping people out of the thing by seeming to you know by blaspheming that which is you right. know. Uh, prof- sacred
0: profaning that which is sacred and the irony being that's what's making it sacred <laughs> absolutely, that's where we did uh, I think we released it, didn't we? we had an episode where we released a sample from the Taoist Lecture series that was Taoist the, the Shit where where Chi was properly quoted and everything else because yeah, it's about again, these uh, wannabe spiritual posers trying to separate and transcend uh, earthy life I don't dig it. I don't dig it because it doesn't seem truthful. It doesn't seem sincere. It seems uh, like you're at war with yourself. They sound like those musty, dusty academians again. It's the same problem
1: that you guys don't take the time to realize girls smell nice. (laughs) Right. You know, period. (laughs) Right. Nothing more or less to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun to be around. You guys are analyzing and trying to raise these things up while the rest of us were just wallowing in our... And Animal the point is right, having a wonderful time. There's yeah. nothing to There's raise nothing repressed. in right. itself
0: is amazing. There's nothing there that needs to be raised because the experience itself is also awesome in and of itself and you're thinking that it needs to be raised, that's the disease. That's the problem. You know, it's American
1: like, needs a good hose out with my repression hose. But you know, it's
0: unfortunately it's not just you, it's like so much yeah. most of human culture, right? And most of and that's what makes EQ amazing in the fourteen hundreds yeah. in Japan, because they were not a cultural context that were exactly opening the doors to this. And yet there are so many people who deep down know that what he's talking about is what before they were conditioned by 3 million teachers and school and spiritual masters and rules that told them that they're supposed to feel different. That's what makes EQ either, The fact that he does yeah. this thing, I and mean, in a lot of people, he's like, Intuitively, they know he's fucking right. It's like he has it, and that's well, what makes him appealing. You know, it's
2: funny. A, a great guy I taught with in a number of charter schools, uh, Bruce Turnbaugh, and he had he had taught in the Minneapolis public schools for many years. Very quirky. He, 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 for those who remember Columbo, he was kind of that's how he would deal yeah, with these troublesome kids, mm-hmm. you know. And he was, uh, and he had retired from that and was teaching with me in these schools, social studies teacher, and okay. he was he was a great, you know, kind of old quirky mentor figure that is still still a great friend. And anyway, he had a phrase, which actually came from a student of his, called Inherent Paradox. And the Inherent Paradox would be something like, oh, we preach thou shalt not kill, and we'll kill you if you don't believe it, you know, that kind of thing. That He said every culture has its inherent paradox. And, you know, the inherent paradox of a culture that is wound too tight with repression is that their iconic figures
0: are the totally unrepressed figure. Right. And this is what I see in yep. EQ. Absolutely. Yeah. that's the. There's a story that to me captures it perfectly. It's one of my favorite EQ stories of all times. Uh, there's this tale of EQ being on a boat, on a ferry, something that's taking him from place to place or there are other passenger, And, um, you know, he's there and... He's in his Zen robes, and this one guy um, Yamabushi was like a priest from this rival Buddhist slash Shinto sect. See him, spot him there, and there's kind of like my way is better than your pissing game going on. Where this guy suddenly starts going to you and go like Zen? What's up with that? You know, what did you learn from from Zen? Do you want to see what I learned from my master? What how spiritual developed I am? And, you know, he just sits down in meditation and starts you know, heavily going into this meditative practice, starts sweating, and all of a sudden, like, these twigs catch on fire in front of him, and this fiery image of one of the protector saints of this particular sect of uh, Buddhist Shintoism appears there, and the guy opens his eyes, is very pleased with himself, and he's like, look at that, you know, he's like, that's the kind of miracle that I've learned from my teachers what the fuck did you learn in Zen you know he must have been to Peru EQ <laughs> <laughs> promptly unzip his pants or whether there was a zip or not or whatever he is, he pulls down his pants promptly start pissing all over the fire putting it out and say look at that there's a miracle coming out right out of my body <laughs> right there doesn't get much better it continues with later as the boat is arriving at its destination there's a uh, loose dog on the beach that's like barking like crazy and this big mean dog and everybody's kind of scared to jump off the boat because they think this guy is gonna come bite them and stuff so the yamabush is like trying to cast the spell hypnotizing this dog and you know it's like and the dog is like and it's still is just as pissed as ever so spell didn't quite work Ike is like borrows us, uh, like uh, some rice cakes hop off the boat just approach the dog give him some food and the dog is like smell it eat it out of Iq hands and Iq promptly pat his head and the dog go away on his merry way and everything <laughs> is fine right and it's like how beautiful is that you know that's the a real person versus a spiritual poser right yeah. there And uh, to me, that's what real spirituality is, is that degree of being comfortable with yourself, your role into life, your role into everything else. Even some of like when he was really old and like some of his instruction to his disciples are sort of hilarious because when he was about close to death, there's a um, case in which some of his guys gather around him and he keeps talking to them and say, after my death, Some of you will seclude yourselves in the forest and mountains to meditate, while others may drink sake and enjoy the company of women. Both kinds of Zen are fine by me. But if some of you become professional clerics and start blabbing along about Zen as the way, then they are my enemies. You know How cool is that? It's like meditating in the mountains, that's a good Zen practice. Drinking sake and hanging out with women, great practice. Uh, but turns that into this intellectual game where you start turning it. Now that's I have a problem with.
2: And turning it into the, into the way and the, that goes where that the, the the paradox of things coming in through the back door again is if you're even if you're blathering about there is no way that can be put into words in a way where you're blathering about there is no. Wait right. to, to, to blather about it. You've just brought the, the, the misguided element right in through the back door again. Mm-hmm. You know, if you keep going on and on about how it can't go, can't be put in words and you're
0: doing it with your words, you miss the point. <laughs> but the thing that's funny about him is that he's not just the, oh, go drink and this and that. That's the way to go. He's like, you want to do solitary meditation in the mountains among the trees kind of the stereotype of what mystical meditation is about mm. do it that's great nothing wrong with it and just as good as hanging out and having wild sex parties and that's also good because again to him is about a state of consciousness yeah. but when you kill that state of consciousness by over intellectualizing the whole thing and turn it into a business as a lot of the zen establishment had done that's what he's got a problem with mm-hmm. so again I find that. Quite funny about the man that he's so, and obviously you know it 's endearing his hostility toward uh, the establishment on every level, in this case the Zen establishment toward uh, institutions toward formalities toward you know in a sense precisely because he loves what zen what the real Zen is about. Mm-hmm. That puts him on a collision course with the way Mozan is practiced during his life, right? And, time. and that's
2: that inherent paradox again. And I'll use an analogy, mm-hmm. you know, very familiar to people with, uh, you know, Christianity is built on um, supposedly puncturing in a blasphemous way the the old Jewish covenant, which you could even say that might have been built on puncturing in a blasphemous way the old polytheistic Egyptian and Semitic, you know. But it's like. Everybody takes and takes that, and then does makes of it a system just like the one that they were willing to be heretics mm-hmm. in and yeah. uh, uh, especially with like say meditating in the mountains, but it could right. be just as much you know if somebody made a cult out of sexuality yeah, and yeah, yeah. that itself you know it, once you get into it as a cult that you know. This is the way, this is how we especially things, right? as you're saying it, this is the way, even something like being rebellious. You know, what's the oldest, say, one of the oldest sayings in the book? How do you not conform to nonconformity? Sure. And maybe that's, that's probably the cult of the individuality and the cult of the rebel, who's not then really a rebel, sure. is probably in a, a very common American, uh, you know, uh, uh, malady right now is I mean when we make fun of hipsters it's like the idea is that okay I'm going to try so hard to say I'm going against the system in my own way that I actually just do the same thing as everybody else who's doing this and and so you know I mean for for uh, EQ what he's doing is is basically saying look just just be mm-hmm. you know go your own way. It doesn't matter how you look compared to others. There's no calling card of whether you're celibate, whether you're having fun with women, whether Mm -hmm. you are meditating in the mountains, whether you're drinking, whether you're drinking tea, whether you you know, it's, there is no one
0: approach. Yeah, the one way, which is, it shows up in so many ways from philosophically your life choices so i mean iq like they were always in zen circles they were always getting on his case because he was always dressed poorly even in formal occasions so everybody you know again again it's funny like in a zen contest where it's supposed to be beyond appearances this and that. It's like they're all kind of putting themselves up and putting on the cool looking kimonos and everything else and iq is just showing up in his travel robes and straw sandals and he wore his hair really long scruffy beard and whatever and his idea is like and even that is like oh did you see how he was dressed and this and that and and the thing to him is that regularly he's uh he brings it back to a more instinctual level you know there are writing after writing even the non-sexual ones like in other ones he goes like every day priests minutely examine the dharma Mm -hmm. and endlessly chant profound sutras before this though they should first read the love letter sent by the wind and rain, the snow and moon. And in another one he says, studying text and stiff meditation can make you lose your original mind. A solitary tune by a fisherman, though, can be an invaluable treasure. You know, he brings it back to this experience, which ultimately is what real awareness is, is the experience of the moment, rather than even things that are supposed to lead to that, such as meditation or reading Buddhist text. How in and of itself can take you away from it? There's, of course, there's. A, this is one of the stories that look like made up by Tom Robbins because it's too good. But there's a tale of like one day they were bringing out these ancient sutras for kind of airing them out in public for visitors to observe, and so these uh, monks is Iq uh, sleeping in the garden while all of this is going on and kind of yell at him and is like, "What the hell are you sleeping when the sacred sutras are being brought up and this and that?" and Ichu quickly ask him which one is better Buddhism printed on paper or Buddhism in the flesh and the other dude is like like, uh, Buddhism in the flesh and Ikkyo goes well right now I'm hearing Buddhism in the flesh so please leave me alone you know it's like just get off me already you know the sacred sutras and don't spoil a healthy Buddhist nap if there is such a thing
1: <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's funny how I had this notion of this uh, insane frat boy initially and he's not he's exactly opposite
0: Absolutely. with a good dose
1: of and don't hurt anyone along the way yep. <laughs> you could probably get somebody to sign up pretty quickly
0: yeah because that's the thing he's not all about oh drink party as robert was saying earlier it doesn't mean that he's a big drunk all the time right. or any of that he's in some ways more of a symbol than a day-to-day reality he's also day-to. i mean it's also a reality but not to a compulsive level it's about it really is about enjoying experience, being in the moment, enjoying experience. And that, to me, is where enlightenment takes place. I dig it a lot better in the EQ story than I dig it into a, you know, the power of now type of thing, but ultimately it boils down to this idea of being awake in the present.
2: Yeah, and know? nothing as, you know, speaking of, of it's like, you know, uh, being w- willing to embrace the profane as nothing being inherently profane. You know, um, and again, it's like, it's funny that you get, say, such extreme legalism and so many strains of Christianity over the centuries when it's built on, you know, there's the the story in uh, in Acts where, you know, it's like, uh, oh, are they going to follow the dietary laws? And Peter Mm -hmm. has this dream of this blanket being lowered from heaven with all the unclean animals to eat. And, you know, being told to go eat it. And, uh, you know, it's like Peter's like, I can't, I can't, Lord. It's uh, it's unclean. And he goes, what I have called clean, you dare not call profane. You know, and <laughs> it's this idea that, that there's nothing right. inherently profane. Nothing. And that's very existential again, you know. It's, yeah,
0: uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing is with him is uh, that theme, which clearly is now what? again the zen buddhism of his time was all about he regularly enjoyed just lifting up his middle finger and toward the institution because over and over again in his writing and he's doing tongue in cheek, he's not even angry he's not even like he's damn mad about it he's more like he's playing but there's like this line like who needs the Buddhism of ossified masters me, I spent three decades alone in the mountains and solved all my koans there, living zen among the tall pines and high winds Again, experience versus doctrine. You know, the. Uh, where's there's another one that was glorious? Where is it? Um, Stilted koans and strain dancers are all you monks have. Forever pandering to officials and rich patrons. Good friends of the Dharma, so proud. Let me tell you, a brothel, ga- a brothel girl in a gold kimono as you beat by a mile. I love this, you know, he's constantly just. Uh, Telling the institution to fuck off because Mm -hmm. the institution is killing the very spirit of Zen that they are professing. You know, him going against the institution, and not even because he wants to, because that just because the institution is in the way, because it's an obstacle standing in the way of real Zen experience, you know, automatically puts him at odds with them. And that's kind of that clash between a free, alive individual and a dead, dogmatic institution. And The Clash is highly enjoyable to watch in Icky's case. Mm-hmm. There's uh, there's a lot of good stuff there.
1: Well, once you get your tax-exempt status put together,
0: now you have the first saint in the uh, Church of Beloved. Absolutely. Sure. No, IQ's just <laughs> my... That's why you know I was so happy to throw him into the Dionysian Parade T-shirt because he's, uh, he's, he's glorious. He's I'm my all-time idol. There's not even somebody who comes a close second. There's a long distance between... Uh, like, I find so much, just about everything I read about Hikki, I'm done with. You know, there's not, you know, in most people, there are uh, stuff you like and stuff. And you're like, eh, that one could have handled that better and all of that. In Hikki's case, there's like, what's not to like? You know, the the thing with women that we hinted at earlier on that was interesting, the fact that so much Zen Buddhism had a, had a strong undertone of misogyny. Yeah. because the reality of the culture is that as in many cultures in which Buddhism spread hell is many cultures most cultures throughout the world heavily patriarchal with a misogynist streak with a very negative view of women so you get all these uh, you know lines that I read in like some commentary on Zen Buddhist thing where one guy was like woman is not even worthy of being forgotten You know, this idea of, like, stay (laughs) away from women. He hasn't probably smelled one yet. No, definitely not in a long time, that's for sure. Or Or he's doing it on the side hypocritically. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, priests who are taught to learn to avoid women as dangerous that, you know... And again, that comes to,
2: you know, it it boggles the imagination that they would do this. Because, again, if you go back to the, hey, guys, your core doctrine is that, you know, you have you're embracing the lack of permanence and lack of self so what do you have to fear it's yeah. this asceticism coming in the back door so you know it's the it's the paradoxical it's again a buddhist version of the old uh, admonition to uh, medieval christian monks which is that you know the most pernicious sin is the sin is the uh, sin of too
0: much pride in your humility mm-hmm. you know <laughs> So <laughs> yeah absolutely because that's that's what it boils down to be yeah. it becomes another way to for it to rear its ugly head and he and responded to this you know he had women as disciples he's the only zen master of his times and I don't even know if it's only of his times that in his official portrait he was painted along with the woman he was in love with mm-hmm. with Mori at the time when there's a she includes her in the portrait which is a huge no no you're really not supposed to do it He puts it in his official portrait. It's not a coincidence. (laughs) He's not doing it as... It's like, what, am I too good for her to be in the same painting? Fuck you guys, you know? It's like, I'm crazy about her. She's in my painting just as much as... You know, he, uh, again, very open about being highly in love with some women. It's just... I love that about him, you know? Again, one of the things that I guess I was identifying in EQ's personality, which is a recurrent theme in so many of the people I like... To put it in Lakota terms, there's uh, in Lakota culture, there's the figure of the Heoka. The Heoka is somebody with a uh, dream of uh, thunder spirits, of thunder beings. And as a result of that, you are... There's kind of a dangerous element to it because now you're supposed to turn into a Heoka. If you uh. don't, thunder beings may kill you. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's not even a choice. You have to. These are the cards you're given and you have to play them. And the Heoka is uh kind of a sacred clown which sounds like such a weird concept to us because to us a clown is a clown you know you're mm-hmm. making me laugh bitch already you know that's where it's at and the sacred is sacred it's like what the hell is a sacred clown sacred clown is this idea in that sense that there's a power there there's mm-hmm. some very deep in what's going on but it appears anything but deep you know the clown is He will, the Heoka will show up in the middle of ceremonies and do, break all the rules, do all sort of outlandish behavior, mimic having sex on anything that moves with a one mile radius in the middle of the most sacred ceremonies. Do all these things that are so out of the standard social norms that inevitably make people laugh because they are so funny. And yet they are seen as kind of crazy, sort of weird. And E Q in many ways personifies the Heoka power the 10th degree. His whole life is, you know, his crazy cloud. Mm-hmm. He is, uh, you know, the one that in many ways challenge established code of conduct, challenge the, the norm of what society think is normal and appropriate. And by default, he becomes radical just by following his own calling in that regard. Mm-hmm. So to me, Iku is the Japanese equivalent of the Heioka. Yeah. Even the, uh, one of his he, what the master was certified as, his enlightened and all of that. When they were asking, you know, who's the guy who really got it out of your teachings? Who's the? He would refer to E. Q. as the eccentric one. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like he's the weird one. But again, he's an E. Q. bask in his own weirdness. You know, he liked it. He had no problem with it. He fully embraced his crazy status. He. Um, there's this quality about him that, let me see if I find, there's a writing there that was, yeah, here it is talking about himself, he's crazy madman, blowing up a crazy wind, wandering here and there amidst brothels and wine shop is there an enlightened priest who can match me for a single word I paint the sound, I paint the north I paint the west and I paint the east even that there's this cocky thing of like, is there an enlightened priest who can match me, like Totally know what you're supposed to do in Buddhism. We are supposed to know better <laughs> than that. And have the, and it's very tongue-in-cheek the way he does it, but it's awesome. You know, there's, there's a whole actually series of um, what I refer to as the ox-herding pictures, and they are they are sort of a symbol of, like, there's kind of the symbol of this ox that got lost, and in a farming community, they would clearly understand the idea of, you know, everybody got an ox that got lost at some point. They have to chase it down, do all these things to kind of rein it back in. And it's supposed to symbolically represent stages of spiritual development. And at the end of all this picture, the idea is that the person who was chasing down the ox, there's this idea of like riding the ox on its back and it's sort of like being able to mingle with ordinary people, being part of ordinary world, not being separate, not being... And that's what I find here about E. Q. is this notion of not really being... Uh, like one of his disciples writing about him said... Uh, Ikkyu didn't distinguish between the high and low in society. He enjoyed mingling with artisans, merchants, children. Youngsters followed him about, and birds came to eat out of his hands. Whatever possessions he received, he passed on to others. He was strict and demanding, but treated all without favoritism. I q laughed heartily when he was happy, and shouted mightily when angry. Angry, actually. That's my weird English. I was throwing an angry hungry that was in the middle of that. The magic word <laughs> today is hungry. Yeah, I guess. Angry, no the You know, that's a real human being. Except not just a real human being that's authentic, but an asshole. is a real human being where kids follow you around because you're cool and birds eat out of your hands. You know, there's a real in a actually living good way. that whole idea, again, that's supposedly supposed to be part of The the
2: non-duality, the Mm non-judgmentalism, the non-hierarchy of Buddhism, Uh, I'll use another, you know, uh, little biology teaching example. But, you know, when I'm teaching about evolution, one of the, uh, you know, tiresome questions I often Mm -hmm. get from students who are somehow at home or in their community coming up with, oh, yeah, evolution, oh, it didn't really happen – is, well, if humans evolved from monkeys, why are there still monkeys? (laughs) And, of course, you know, that's easily explained. First of all, we didn't evolve straight from monkeys. We had a common ancestor. But, you know, it's like, well, if... Motorcycles evolved out of bicycles. Why do we still have bicycles? Because they're still damn good. Right. It's just there's another good design out there. And even when it comes to human beings, we're not part of a great chain of being where intelligence is better than lack of intelligence, or there still wouldn't be cockroaches. There still wouldn't be bacteria. It turned, and hey, they've been around longer. Uh, you know, I mean, we have a, we have many millions or billions of years to catch up to prove that maybe in the long haul we are even as good as them mm-hmm. but certainly you know we are as good as them and they are as good as us and how do you know because we're all still alive mm-hmm. um but that's not how because we as humans have our own perspective that's not how usually we ju- we judge this and, and we can't we're going to have our own perspective but if you're going to talk about not, you know, looking beyond our perspective, then you would have to be willing to hobnob around with the bacteria and the cockroaches and the, the monkeys and the, the fish and and all the full glory of, of what's out there. And, you know, in Buddhism, you're supposed to be beyond these judgmental, mm-hmm. transcendental hierarchies. But that means, well, then you are willing to hang out and see you know the good the bad the ugly and the 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 beautiful uh, with everybody with the courtesans and with the brothel girls with the uh, children with the uh, you know the the outcasts and with the samurai Mm -hmm. you know it's uh, but who is living it and Ikkyu is living it
0: you know so yeah that makes him and you know many people will respond to this kind of uh, this kind of freedom this kind of unashamed enjoyment of being who he is. EQ, one of the things that you get from him is that he's a guy who's comfortable in his own skin, who's, uh, which is by definition what radical honesty is to some degrees, where you're comfortable enough in your own skin that you're not trying to appear as something else. You are, I am what I am, words and all, this is yeah. the way it is. And Even to the point of, and, you know, we've talked about his
2: emotionality, mm-hmm. you know, and we've talked about his, uh, first of all, being willing to show his, his, his love poems. But there's also love poems, I don't have any of them uh, on our file here, but uh, of aching, of melancholy, mm-hmm. his his poem Skeletons. So, again, we have kind of a paradox. Being willing enough to be comfortable in his own skin, being uncomfortable in his own skin is part of life because there there also was... You know, he was willing. Uh, you know, when you get the the wabi sabi, the uh, the the melancholy embrace of of impermanence and mm-hmm. ephemerality. You know, how does he end up in the global sense comfortable in his
0: own skin? He's willing to be uncomfortable at times in his own skin. <laughs> well, and whether he was willing or not, he sure had a whole lot of uh, life experience in that regard. Yeah, because you know, you start being disowned by your father before you're even born raised in a monastery away from your mom. Uh, The one guy that you got attached to die shortly after you got to meet him, within a few years, during a formative period. He grows up, you know, he lives in a period in the 1400s in which Japan, the people he lives in contact with, are going to be rocked by famine, floods, a civil war. 90% of Kyoto, where he spent a lot of time, will be burned down during his lifetime. The population of Kyoto will drop by 90%. You're going to, you know, he sees a lot of shit and a lot of suffering around yeah. him. He's not some uh, spoiled guy who got to only sample the best out of life. And, yeah, easy for you to enjoy it, motherfucker. You know, yeah. it's because you haven't tasted what hard life is. It's not that. He had plenty of taste, plenty of encounters with very harsh, the harsh face of life. Yeah, but and, and in it, a way,
2: too, you know, I mean, and a lot of people have as well, but not... Embraced it, where some element of denial or, or seeking of transcendentalism. I mean, the vast majority of people in the world who have been through, sadly, I think, trauma. Um, nevertheless, didn't haven't taken it to that next step of of uh, enlightenment, like the the EQs. That's why they stand out. Absolutely. And, uh, um, so, not running away from it. Yeah. You know, not running away from. Uh, you know his his gigantic melancholies or his gigantic mirth, his great positive passions, his 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 anger, like you said at times, is is all of this kind of uh, embracing the fullness of life and embracing the impermanence of it in its fullness at the same time. Right? Yeah. There's
0: a there's a glorious e. Q. Line that in my mind captures it all beautifully. That he says, even if I end up in hell. I'll find a way to enjoy it. <laughs> How badass is that? Because he's not saying there is no such thing. It can't happen. He's acknowledging the fact that shit can and will hit the fan. Yeah. And he's like, but there's that, you know, what I would refer to as the defiant the smile and raised middle finger right there. He's like, yeah, I can end up in hell. Fuck you. I'll still find a way to enjoy it. Yeah. And even if when I don't, I'm going to cry my eyes out and everything else. But it's part of that experience that... You know, some of his, and this I found, this is not something he said, it's something he said about him that to me captures perfectly what this whole thing is about and why. Beside the fun aspect, beside Bugs Bunny, Lario's uh, adventures of EQ, beside the sex poems, beside all stuff that I absolutely love. But the one thing that I like about EQ more than anything else about this, what truly makes him my hero in this, is this thing that they say about him, how they say that the mark of eq school is uh, joy in the midst of suffering you know this ability to find ways to enjoy life even in the midst of not denying suffering not yeah. pretending it's not there not being in denial acknowledging its power acknowledging it's there and once you acknowledge acknowledging then be like yeah but i can still find this one thing to enjoy right now mm-hmm. uh how can you not like like this guy? That to me is what... Because nobody's going to be able to transcend suffering. Nobody can go through a whole life without suffering. Nobody can... The very existential nature of human life implies a whole lot of encounters with suffering. Is uh, how you respond to it, not in a moral sense. It's not like, oh, you're going to go to heaven if you respond well or you go... There is no a hey, you know suffering crushes you. I understand. There's yeah. n- it doesn't say anything bad about you if you respond that way. That's just how it, the dice roll. But still, that against overwhelming odds, that ability to find a way to e- find enjoyment anyway. I love. Well, that you too. know, there's
2: a there's the the famous quote from Marcus Aurelius about uh, you know uh, how to deal with the gods, and I also think of the. Uh, uh, the the mini soliloquy of Hamlet before he goes to his final duel and where he eventually says you know you know either it's to be or it's to come you know the readiness is all well you know and this has to be embraced on a visceral level a gut level not just in a you know again backdoor attempt at um, detachment and transcendence but you know one of two things is true either you are uh, you know Basically, yourself. You know, if if you die and death is all, or whatever the case may be, yourself is annihilated, and then you don't have to worry about the suffering. Or you're suffering because you're still alive, which means that there is a chance to do something with it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you, you know. I think what really bears down on people with despondence beats them down. Is that dragging out period? You know, think of like a terminal illness where um, you see you're going to lose eventually, Mm -hmm. but it's the process is very um, onerous and it's dragging out. Mm -hmm. So then it can be very hard to uh, to deal with at that stage. But it still comes back down around to the human condition, the living condition beyond just human beings is we're all in that boat we're all buying that time and um, you know the fact is that uh, kind of joy in the midst of suffering is something that the that all of life from the time we're we're first born or conceived or however you want to, however far back you want to take the
0: lineage of life
2: is is there you know?
0: And if you're gonna be in that boat anyway, might as well be in the good company of Ich, who will make you laugh and will put out fire with his magic urine in case it catches on close to you. So, yeah, that uh, might have done a little damage. That probably hurt that guy's pride a little
1: bit. Yeah. So, so there's gonna be a little damage here and there. But I love it. Way back when we did an early episode, I don't even know who first introduced the notion, but. Even moderation needs moderation. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I
0: think this was a Sam Sheridan line, yeah. I believe. Yeah. That was... Uh, and it was... sort
1: of echoes that, too. Yeah. Go out. Yep. You're going to mess up on occasion. You're going to go too far, but we're here to squeeze a lemon and get some in our eyes and in our mouths. Yeah. And if you don't live that way, then you are sometimes... You're missing the whole adventure. Well, it reminds me, too,
2: of uh, you know, what I've tried to sometimes say to a few people over time and you'll understand you know Daniele will really understand this from martial arts is there's a difference between dynamic balance and static balance and a static balance you know something is sitting you know a a big rock is sitting on the ground now a dynamic balance would be something like a tornado it's in constant motion but the totality of its motion is what gives it stability now in a very buddhist sense it doesn't have permanence but in its dynamic motion, it has an operational, a moment, you know, for the time being, not only a permanence, a great power, and is often more hard to throw off or perturb. You know, you can have a, a boulder that's very balanced on a column, still fairly easy to push over, you know, try to push a tornado out of the direction it wants to go. So, you know, and, and how do you achieve this overall dynamic balance is being willing to be at any portion of it, supremely unbalanced. So how do you achieve this grand moderation being willing to be extremely, you know, perhaps at times very immoderate right. of anything in particular?
0: <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Indeed. So you guys, um, again, thank you to Tom Robbins for bringing Mr. EQ to my attention and giving me, and again, this I feel is literally giving me a, a life model To, you know, there have been so many cases in which EQ's concrete example of how life can be lived has uh, improved my quality of life. So, a million thanks to Mr. Tom Robbins, a million thanks for being to Mr. EQ Sojourn for being the badass that he was. And uh, thank you, Robert, for coming to play with me on this. Always my pleasure. For everything as usual. And uh, you guys, have a beautiful day.
1: The funky music means that's the end of
0: another brilliant episode of the Drunken Towers podcast. So, wrapping it up time. Wrapping it up time. Uh, t-shirts. We just mentioned DQ seventy two thousand times since that was the episode dedicated to him, EQ features, not prominently, but it features within the crazy mess that is the Dionysian parade t-shirt. If you look carefully, you'll see me in a corner enjoying a drink with a woman or from the body of a woman, however Mm. you want to say it, um, so there's that. Uh, Also our original logo t-shirt, the Nietzsche shirt, the whole range of T-shirts that we have put out in the last uh, few years. Well,
1: it's funny. It'll be in episode 71. 72 is the end of year three. Yeah, well, Perhaps almost there'll be uh, a new T-shirt before you know it. Yeah. So maybe send we your go, EQ designs in right now.
0: Maybe we go for number four. We well, shall
1: see. I, no reason not to. Not at this point. Not with someone as fine as shirt sure design T-shirts on our side. Yeah.
0: Exactly. They happy gave nipples us, for a happy planet. Yeah, they gave us, uh, I mean, I love short design stuff on its own, but just the fact that they gave us our own shorts, it's beautiful. The um, Taoist Lecture Series. You guys are in the mood to listen some about Taoism. Seven hours plus of uh, divided in 16 audio files. Immediate download. Easy, simple, should be fun. I hope you guys like it if you get to uh, try it out. A quick thank you to our affiliate sponsor. So if you guys are in the market for chocolate or you like audio books, articles, and all of the stuff, so on one end, they're not the same source. The chocolate comes from Coracao Chocolate. And again, the link is in the episode notes. All the um, audio material come from Audible, which is one of the pretty much every other podcast you listen has some kind of hookup with Audible. So I'm sure you guys know the drill there if you're interested. So if you can check those out, that would be sweet donations we are recording back-to-back episodes so we don't really have uh, any names right now not because some of you sweet soul haven't donated i hope that will be the case but because we have spent you know the last time we recorded an opening was about two hours ago and nobody donated in this window other than that uh thank you to Daisy house for the music Thank you to your contribution to Kiva.org, which again, just to remind you, this is not something that we're sponsored by or anything. We're doing it just because we want to, because it's a cool thing. It's a great idea, and we appreciate your help in that regard. And
1: with all of you out there with your summer jobs, you can pull an extra 25 bucks out to pass along to someone out there in the world that you feel like could use a hand up, and
0: they'll hand it right back to you. So it's amazing. That's a win-win, and I don't believe we have anything else, do we? That's it. You guys are a wonderful one.
1: And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dowd's Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at D Bolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. In questo caso, la providenza di Dio.
0: Duncan showed you the way. Eh?
1: Oh man, isn't that scary to think?
0: Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> This was great, fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and... uh, Uh,
1: Your accent, it just... Whatever that movie is you were trying to tell me about. Can you translate
0: for me, please? I
1: believe the word was Tombstone. Yeah, that one, exactly.
0: (laughs) Just as I was saying, you know, (laughs) Tombstone. What do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you.
2: Get back to work!